I just encourage you to consider it, pray about it. How should I respond? Uh, we, we know that Jesus cares about this type of thing. And so we want to join him at his heart. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the old Roman creed. So the word credo in Latin means I believe. And I know for some of you, maybe you have a background in a liturgical church and you memorize these creeds. And I've actually talked to people who are like, oh, this is so painful. Um, maybe there was knowledge, uh, but without relationship then. But the knowledge itself isn't bad. So hang in there. And the reason they developed these creeds, this is the very earliest one, the, the Roman creed, about 220 AD, is because people couldn't necessarily read and write because the Bible couldn't be printed and distributed. Um, and so they had to memorize these, these phrases, these thoughts that captured the essence of what Jesus taught. So we've looked at what it means to have faith, what it means to believe, what it means for the Father to be almighty. We, we talked about that he is intensely personal and infinitely powerful at the same time. We've talked a little bit about who Jesus is. And this week, I'd like us to look at this phrase in the old Roman creed that he was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and that he suffered and was buried, died and buried under Pontius Pilate. So if we could show the old Roman creed, we are just going to read to right here, this comma under buried, and uh, we'll focus on what's highlighted there. I wonder if, would you be willing to read with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Christ Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried. This is probably the first line in this creed. I mean, I guess, depending on where you're at, spiritually unresolved, trying to figure this out, all of these are challenging. But this might be the first line where you go like, oh, that gives me a brain cramp, right? It was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. This idea that he, he suffered, was crucified, and buried. Most of us have heard that story around Easter. Why was it that these early church leaders said one of the things that we have to know about Jesus was about his origins? Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And that he suffered under a real Roman governor named Pontius Pilate, was crucified and buried. You know, this phrase in theology is called the incarnation, the incarnation. I'm going to give you a way to remember the incarnation. It's so disturbing you'll remember it for the rest of your life. Okay, so Latin, Latin, similar to uh, Spanish, one of the romantic languages. So if you were going to have a can of chili with meat in it, that would be called chili con carne. We have Spanish speakers in the room. I love it. Chili con carne. Carne, carne is a Latin word and a Spanish word for flesh. For flesh. Carnivorous. Carnivore. Meat. You eat meat. The word incarnation literally means that God came to the planet and put on flesh, put on meat, put on a body. That's, that's this teaching. That's what they wanted to capture, that God put on flesh and blood. And why does that matter? Why does that matter? 
Because many people would probably think, well, there was a man named Jesus who became God. But that's not, that's not what we learned. God became a man. And that has incredible, incredible significance. I, I don't think I have an illustration to adequately capture what the incarnation is all about. But I've got a couple of stories that might, might make us kind of hint at it. So a couple weeks ago, we were at our small group Sunday night. And one of the people in our small group, this couple, just had a baby about six months ago. And he is the cutest, chunkiest little boy you've ever seen. Six months old. And just, his name's Frank. I mean, you got to love it. Little baby Frank. So they, they brought little Frank to small group because they had a babysitter who was watching their other kids. And I don't know, I think it might be my own personal simplicity, but I just gravitate towards babies. I love babies, right? So it's not long in this small group before I'm holding Frank. And the adults are having significant discussion about things dealing with faith in the Bible. And I'm in the corner of the couch going, <laughs> right? And all I want is to make Frank laugh. Just make, because this kid, when he laughs, he's got these huge blue eyes and he just, ah. And so I, like, I don't even know what's happening in our small group. I'm just holding Frank and we are connecting and we're making baby noises and we're, and just, you know, sticking out our tongues at each other. And, and, and I pause and everybody's like looking at us, like, you going to join the small group? I'm like, no way. This is more my speed. Like, <laughs> we think a lot, you know, we're, we're alike. We're, we're here. Now, if you wanted to make a baby smile, would you think of, oh, you know what? I should write out my best joke and show it to Frank. Read this, buddy. This is hilarious. Right? You can't tell a story. What do you have to do? Frank's at a different level cognitively. He, he's early in his development. You have to go to a level that he understands and he relates to. I wonder if that's part of what the incarnation is about is there is such a profound difference between where God is and where human beings are that God accommodated. Think of that word. He accommodated humanity. He came down to be with us, to relate to us in a way that we could understand in our simple languages. Another example. I heard this many years ago and it stuck with me. So imagine where you live next door to you, just across the fence. You live in kind of a rural area. There's, there's this anthill. And you've been watching these ants. And you just watched something on Discovery Channel about the complexities of ant life. And you know that underneath the ground, there, there's this colony of ants. And they have ways that they communicate and, and the ways that they feed the young. And they, they keep, I mean, you're just fascinated by the ants, Right. So you go out and you feed them and you watch them. But you hear a tractor start up and you see that your neighbor is going to plow that field. And here comes the tractor towards the anthill. And you want to warn the ants because you know that their demise is imminent. So what are you going to do to warn the ants? First, you write out warnings on poster board. And you put it in front of the ants. Tractor coming, you're going to die, flee. They can't comprehend that, can they? You're yelling. You, so you get in and you try to, you try to scoop them up, but they, they don't understand that you're trying to save them. So what do they do? They attack. What is the only way 
that you could ever communicate to those ants, you'd have to become an ant. You'd have to communicate in the way they do through their chemical reactions, that there's warnings, that there's dangers out there. There is such a chasm between where you are and where this simple ant is that you can't warn them. The incarnation was this, is that God was in such a different place, but he was willing to take on humanity in order to rescue us. Let's read about the incarnation, where it all begins. There were a couple of prophecies by a man named Isaiah said this, said a virgin will give birth. Everybody read that and was like, I don't understand that. This is the fulfillment of that. This is the story that we typically read at Christmas. This is about Mary and an angel that visits her and tells her what is about to happen. This is the beginning of the incarnation. The angel went to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now at this time, Mary is engaged, betrothed. It's different than our engagement. And just, hey, here's a ring, we'll set a date. This was a legal uh, joining together of two people. The only way you broke apart that betrothal was you had to have uh, legal uh, ramifications involved. It was like filing for divorce. And so she's engaged to a man named Joseph and she hears that she's going to have a baby and she's to name him Yeshua, Yeshua, which means God saves. And the angel says he will be great and will be called the son of of the most high, not Joseph's son. This isn't going to happen in a matter of months when she marries Joseph. But this child is going to have a different father. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, the angel since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, not the Son of Joseph. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now, if you were Mary... And we know that Hebrew ladies in the first century typically got married between the ages of 16 and 19. So even guys, I want you to go there emotionally, okay? I want you to go there. You're 16, 17, 18, maybe 19-year-old young lady. You're betrothed. You're engaged. Your family has worked this out. There's been a dowry payment. And what he's doing now, what Joseph is doing, is during this year he is building an addition, a home for you. So after you're married, you're going to go back to his family's home. He's built an addition into the family complex. And so you're just anticipating, waiting this. And then an angel says, you're going to have a child. Okay, after we're married? No. You're going to have a child. And how is this going to happen? This is a really conservative society. And the angel says, oh, 
God's going to be the dad. Okay? And there's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit that will come over you and overshadow you. Anybody have a few more questions for God than like, what do I tell people? When I show up pregnant, what do I tell Joseph? Do I, do I tell him, oh, don't worry, Joseph. The dad's God. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. I mean, I think everybody in the room kind of has at least a vague idea where babies come from. This isn't normal. Joseph is going to have to deal with this. The angel's going to come to Joseph because he's going he's to divorce her. And, and the angel says, Joseph, it actually is God's son. She didn't betray you. This is God's son. And by the way, Joseph, I'd like you to adopt God as your child. Anybody like blending together families or if you're adopted, you're like, that's kind of messy, right? No, no, just raise God for me. You'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing in their culture, you guys, this would have been absolutely scandalous. Do you think anybody believed Mary? Do you think anybody believed Joseph? I mean, what they took on here. So, but this is Mary's response. Well, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. The incarnation, why was it necessary? What was God doing? I just want to talk about Five significant aspects of the incarnation. Why this was important and how this changes the world. Here's the first one. The first one is that the incarnation tells us that God is with us. God is with us. You know, at Christmas time, <clears throat> you'll see this word. It's on cards. Maybe you've got a Christmas tree decoration. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It's a Hebrew word and it comes from the book of Isaiah where Isaiah 780 years before Jesus shows up says, I will send someone to you. God's going to heal what's broken. And one of the proper names that I'll give him that you can call him by is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Let's read John chapter 1 verse 14 together. We hear what this God with us is all about. The word, now this is a Greek phrase. Uh, in Greek it's logos, L-O-G-O-S. It means the, the truth, the wisdom, the ultimate reality. So the word became flesh. God himself is truth, became flesh. Here's the word, guess what it is? Carne. Became meat, became tangible, became real, and made his dwelling where? No longer in heaven, but among us, this phrase in Greek is pitched his tent, meaning he came down and he lived just like we did. He joined the human condition and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Here's what the incarnation means. It means that we're not alone. It means that God is with us because the tendency is this. The tendency is to think that God is indifferent towards us. He just doesn't really care. We've messed up for so long. 
that he's gone beyond even being engaged anymore. Or some of us might say, God is against us. I feel that God opposes me. I feel like whatever I try, it seems to fail. I feel like there's so much pain in my life. But the incarnation says this, no, God is for us. He's taken on flesh and bone. He's experienced emotion. He has joined us in this world. He's not against us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. There you go. Sorry, for those of you who didn't hear the ringtone. God is with us. That's what we were talking about. Uh, So this week, this week, just one of those weeks where I was just struck by the challenges that people are facing. This is an amazing family here who last week grabbed me and they said, could you meet us tomorrow morning? We need to do a funeral. So I met with them and it was a funeral of a, a three-year-old baby girl. And I met him at 10 o'clock and any... Um, any child funeral that I'm involved in is hands down, without a doubt, the hardest thing, hardest thing I'm involved with. I never feel like I have the right things to say. And this one, her death was absolutely tragic. Shouldn't have happened. And so there's so much pain in that room. There are so many questions. And we're asking questions, the same questions that Mary and Martha asked. They asked Jesus when Jesus came to Lazarus's funeral. God, where were you? God, why didn't you intervene? God, this should never have happened. I take this incredible comfort from, <clears throat> even as Mary and Martha are asking all these questions, we're just told that Jesus wept. He just wept with them. He didn't answer all of their questions about why and how could this have happened and why is life so painful. But he was with Mary and Martha and he just wept with them. And on Monday, that's all. I, I don't have answers to why this happened to this little girl, but I do, have, I do have this knowledge that God's heart breaks. That he weeps with us because he's not opposed to us. He's not indifferent. He is with us us. And if he's with us in the midst of whatever pain, whatever tragedy, whatever upheaval, I'm never alone. It means that he entered the fray. He came down into the human condition. Incarnation means that God is with us. Secondly, the incarnation is significant because it helps me to realize that Jesus understands us. Jesus understands us. The writer of Hebrews, he's trying to help people understand that God actually became flesh because here was one of the earliest things. This is part of why they had to write uh, the creeds is is the Greek people thought, oh, no, 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 there's no way. He just must have appeared as a human. He he was God because think of the legends, all right? Think of the legends out there. Um, The Greeks and the Romans, their gods lived on top of Mount Olympus. And occasionally, occasionally, their gods would come down and they would appear as a human being. So they wouldn't become a human being, but they would appear as a human being. 
And I'll try to say this politely, but typically they do that because they had eyes for a certain human being that they found highly attractive. And so they descend from Mount Olympus and they would have a relationship with a human being and the offsprings from that relationship would be demigods, demigods. They were mortal, but they were more than human. And so this whole idea that human beings and gods could mix, that was common. But what we're talking about here is completely different. That was always a God disguised as a human being. Listen, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The incarnation tells us that Jesus understands us. Jesus just didn't take on flesh, but he entered the human condition. He took on emotions. He took on everything that makes us us. And so when I am in the the throes of a temptation. Some of us in the room, we're dealing with addictive tendencies. We have secrets. All of us are struggling in our minds. Some of us are on the verge of a depressive breakdown. Some of us are so angry and we want to hide it. We want to hide it because we don't want anybody to know. We, we want to make everyone think we've got it all together. And one tendency we have is we don't want to be honest with God about this because he'll be disappointed, he'll be angry. And the writer of Hebrews says part of God becoming a human means that he experienced everything that everyone in this room is experiencing. The temptation, the struggle, the pain, all the gamut of emotions, the confusion. And so he empathizes with us. He understands. He says, so you don't have to hide your temptation from God. Instead, because you realize that Jesus understands what it's like to be a broken-hearted human being. He says that you can now step towards God not hiding because he understands and he has empathy. So whatever you're going through, whatever pain that you've experienced, God has experienced that. The incarnation means that Jesus, he gets it. He gets it. He made it through and he is there for you. The incarnation means God is with us. It means that Jesus understands us. And thirdly, means that Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus reveals God to us. How many thoughts, conceptions, philosophies are out there regarding God? I mean, think through ancient history, think even today. I mean, almost everybody's got their own version of what God is like, right? Kind of into designer gods. Like, I, have you ever heard this phrase? I can't believe a God like that. Oh, really? Well, if he's God, you got to believe whatever he's like, right? So we, we want to customize God's. People have thought of God as being angry. People have thought of God, you know, all type of personifications on him. 
question is, what's God like? If there is a God, what's he like? The incarnation answers the question. Jesus reveals who God is. In John chapter 14, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, is asking the ancient question. Jesus, show us the Father. We just want to know what God's like. Just tell us what he's like. And this is how Jesus answers the question. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me, who has seen Jesus, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? You want to know what God's like? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four books that chronicle the life of Jesus. Because the Father came to earth. And he was just and he was merciful. He was compassionate and he was strong. The question of what is God like? What does he expect of me? What does he require? It's been answered in the person of Jesus. When God took on flesh, it helped us to understand who God is. The significance of the incarnation is fourthly, that Jesus saves us. Jesus saves us. Without, without Jesus, I, we wouldn't have a prayer. So early on in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, we read that something entered the human reality that was absolutely and totally toxic. It entered into the bloodstream, like literally the DNA of what a human being is. Something so toxic and so poisonous entered into us and it was brought on by rebellion. That we chose our own way over God. It came from Adam and Eve and then it has been passed to every human being who's ever lived. And here's, here's what this toxicity does. It separates me from God. You and I were designed to walk with God, to know him, to have a loving, intimate relationship with him. But now there's struggle and there's striving and there's shame and there's confusion. And so this toxicity had spread throughout humanity. We were now spiritually dead, isolated from God. And here's what the, here's what the incarnation did. So the God-man, Mary the mother, God the father, God inserts back into the human reality, the human bloodstream, the human DNA system, something divine, something brand new, because no human being could fix this. So the God-man, divinity with Mary. And here's what happens. The incarnation means that there's hope for us. Paul, who writes Galatians, says it this way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. So he's saying we have this tendency to become very religious and we're doing things for God. He says the solution is to embrace what God's already done. It's not about you doing more and trying harder, but instead embracing what God has done. So what has God done? Habakkuk, who's an Old Testament prophet, had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God, and that's the real life. Rule keeping, 
does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule keeping, a fact that preserved in scripture. The one who does these things, rule keeping, continues to live by them. So here's the solution. This is the incarnation. Christ redeemed, bought back. Redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life, that poison, that toxicity that entered into the human reality by absorbing it, by absorbing it completely into himself. He became a human. He entered the human condition. Why? To absorb, to take out the toxicity, to deal with the death, to deal with the brokenness. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? Well, that is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He, because he was a man, the God man, he became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. Dealt with the toxicity. Dealt with the death that we were experiencing. The incarnation means that God entered into the diseased, broken sickness of humanity to rejuvenate it, to make us new, to create a solution, to absorb the curse. And upon him, as he hung on that tree, he absorbed the sin of Nate. Things that I would do to rebel against him 2,000 years later, he absorbed it to eliminate the curse, the thing that kept me from God. Lastly, the incarnation is significant because it tells us that God is a missionary. Okay, God is a missionary. You might say, well, what do you mean? A very old Latin phrase that we have is um, missio Dei, missio Dei, which means the mission of God. One of the things that people realize right away is that for some reason, God's heart is to be a missionary. Now, there's always this option, right? He makes a planet, the planet rebels against him. He could have said, what in the world are you guys doing? I'm backing up, I'm getting rid of you guys. I'm not paying any attention, I've done enough. But God is a missionary. He sees the brokenness and he moves towards us. He sets up human history. You can read about it in the Old Testament. This moment when Jesus could come, where he could insert God back into the human condition. All of creation is waiting for this moment because he cares. He moves towards pain. He moves towards suffering and emptiness. Listen how the book of Philippians puts it. Philippians chapter 2, maybe one of the most poignant, beautiful sections of scripture that talks about what it meant for Jesus to become a human being. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. It goes on to say, he became obedient even to death. As, as being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What does the incarnation mean? It means that there was this uh, 
this chasm that existed between us and God. And, and for eons, human beings have been saying, how do we fix this? Well, let's rebuild a re- religious system. Let's, let's try harder. Let's just be better people. But we couldn't fix it. Like It, it was beyond us. There's a toxicity within us. So one option could have been that God would come down alongside of human beings. That would have been impressive. Imagine if the Queen of England announced that she was coming to Billings, Montana, the magic city. I mean, we're not even into queens and kings around here, right? We we kind of turned our back on England for a purpose, on a reason. But if the queen said, you know where I've always wanted to go? It's Billings, Montana. We'd probably like, we'd do a good job, right? She'd show up doing that thing, right? And we'd have parades, we'd have security, and there'd probably be the finest meals served. I mean, we'd do it up, right? Because she's royalty. She's showing up. And we're not even her subjects, but we're like, you got to treat her correctly. Here's what's amazing. Philippians says, when God came to earth, he didn't demand to be worshiped. Here was our greeting. Our greeting was that young girl, Mary. She says she's carrying around baby God. The only people that knew were a group of shepherds. And Jesus didn't demand to be worshipped. He didn't say, now follow me. What did he do? He served. He gave away his life. The actual Greek word is he self-emptied. It's the same word you use for a pitcher when you empty it. Jesus emptied his life into humanity. God is a missionary. He didn't just come alongside but he entered into humans. And he's still here today. It isn't like he's gone. He said, now the beauty of God being a missionary is now the spirit of God comes in and fills people like us. And so because God is a missionary, we're a missionary. Why do we care about what is happening with Sudanese? What does it matter? Is East Africa starving? Here's why it matters, because God cares. God moves towards human pain and suffering. He enters into it. And so now his church, his followers, we move towards, we don't demand respect. We give, we sacrifice. The incarnation means that God is a missionary. found us. He came for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, sometimes words like incarnation just sound like theological verbiage and we don't really know what they mean. This one This one changes everything. 
You didn't leave us alone. Drowning in our toxic pain and our wars and our death and our oppression, you entered into the fray. Or for any of us in the room who wonder, does God care? You've been through your own series of difficult circumstances. The incarnation says this, God is with me. He doesn't oppose me. You wonder about the negative, painful things that have happened in your life, and you wonder, did God do this? And the answer is no, God did not do that. Instead, he weeps with you. That was not the world that he intended or created. He is for you. Some of us, we are struggling with secrets. And we feel so ashamed. And we wonder what is wrong with us because of the temptations we face. And we, we think God could never, God could never have any more patience for me. But God became flesh, meaning he experienced it. Whatever is grabbing at your soul right now, he completely comprehends. He's lived through that. He's not a God who has isolated or insulated himself from you. So move towards him. He empathizes with you. The incarnation means that something needed to be drastically accomplished to restart the brokenness in humanity, the poison, the curse that ran rampant through us. God became a man, absorbed our sin, died in my place. He brought new life to the human race so that we could walk with him. If you're here today and you say, Nate, I need that type of forgiveness. I've never understood what Jesus did, but now I'm at least getting a glimpse. You're saying, I, I need, there's toxicity in my life. I need God to enter into me to restore me. I believe that he absorbed every shame and sin and mistake on the cross. If that's you and you want to surrender your life to a God who loves you that much, you do this, would you just boldly raise your hand and say, Nate, that's me. I'm surrendering to him today. Yeah. Yes, so you're his. You're made new. You're forgiven. Who else? Right there. Yeah. You're his and there. You're made new. You're a daughter of God right there. Beautiful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Over here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I see your hand. Yes, ma'am. You're his. You're his. Made new, forgiven. Yeah, over there. If you're in the balcony, wave at me. Okay, right here on the floor. Yes, there. Absolutely. One. Okay, all three of you right up there. Yeah, both of you right there. Together, you're his. Over here. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Yeah, all right, young lady. I see you. Absolutely wonderful. And here as well. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. And right there, yeah. Whew. Amen, amen. Would you open your eyes? <clears throat> Would you celebrate? There are a whole bunch of people. Mm, 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 mm. So if you raised your hands, listen, we're not talking about, hey, I believe. We're talking about, I'm ready. Like, I am surrendering to you, God, right now. 
And I want you to get help with that. At the Welcome Center back here, there's a free Bible. There's a little booklet. I want you to join a group, get in a rooted group, start to grow. Everybody else, if you need prayer for anything, there's people you can trust. Be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. And know this, that God's a missionary. Therefore, you get to be a missionary. God is for you, and he loves us more than we could ever imagine. Have a great week.